This is Lost in the Groove. And I'm Mike. I'm Dave. We hippies have come together to spark change. So together, we give you our society and culture podcast. So with that, let's get funky and let the intro music play, baby. So, we have decided to take a direction into looking at decriminalization of drugs. Really long word, baffling. But we want to be able to have you guys to understand what are the benefits. What are the benefits if all drugs were legal? And kind of see the bigger picture, see if that is a possibility, and how exactly our future would change. So today's the pill, and we have Jill here today that has an incredible story and is here to be a part, be a part of something that a lot of people have been fighting and been wondering about for many, many years. So without further ado, Jill, so nice to have you here. Oh, thank you very much, David and Mike. It's great to be here. So uh, I, one of the first things I wanted to start it off was, how were you introduced to psychedelics? Uh, my story is, is one of mental health healing, and I was introduced to psychedelics via psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy uh, via two guides who helped me heal from childhood trauma-induced PTSD. So probably probably very non-traditional way. I was uh, I was going over your story as well, just to become more familiar with it, and um, uh, it's really amazing to see more people coming out and sharing their stories. Um, you yourself have a pretty unique one. I wasn't able to uh, to get all the details, but I figured I would just uh, be able to ask you uh, while on the podcast. And we, ha- we of, have we have her in person. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I mean, I, I try I try to like to to obtain important details uh, to to be able to draw up really great questions that listeners may have. But um, I'm assuming and forgive me if I'm wrong, this was uh, was this later on in your life? Was this like last few years that um, it was introduced to you? And you said it was uh, um, a therapy uh, was the format, uh, something like state provided. Would that be correct? Uh, okay, you threw a lot of questions all at once. Let me. Let's, let me yeah, that's let's Ma- start that's from Mike. The yeah, that's Mike. <laughs> let me let me try to go. Uh, let me try to left brain it a little bit there. I had no idea I had PTSD for my entire life. In fact, I argued with my therapist pretty hard that absolutely not. I was successful. I was I was living life. This this was not PST, uh, PTSD. And through my therapy, she had me read the book, The Body Keeps the Score. And I learned that trauma is actually a reaction in the body. And I had no idea about that. There was just so much that I didn't know about trauma, about myself. And when I was finally, when I finally admitted the diagnosis to myself, my therapist, you know, was really patient with me. And, you know, she said, there's a lot of research, there's a lot of good 
solid research around the psychedelic MDMA for PTSD. And so I did some research at maps.org, which is the organization that has FDA approval to uh, study the therapy as a breakthrough therapy. And I was not in a clinical trial. I'll be very clear about that. I went through this therapy the way thousands of people go through this therapy every year, kind of on the underground. But the results were so amazing. And yeah, it really was within the last year and a half that I went through this work that I felt it was a responsibility I had to share with the world what this really was. Yeah, I'm um, probably, probably the classic stereotypical psychedelic thing, but it really was, it really was life-changing and it really was a therapy. It was a hard year, year and a half. Yeah. And so I think it's really important to kind of share with people the big picture of it. Yeah. So did I get all the questions, Mike? I'm not sure. You did, Jill. And why I, why I have this huge smile on my face right now is because um, uh, you're absolutely right that it is the feeling that a lot of people have. That's exactly what I felt in 2018 when I started making my videos about um, psilocybin therapy, that when it began to work for me, I felt compelled to share it no matter. It took me a long time to get the videos just right. But uh, done is better than perfect. Yeah. So getting the message out. And so that, that's why I, I'm smiling as big as I am. I'm like, yes, I know this feeling that you've experienced. And um, that, that year and year and a half that you've been through, I mean, um, uh, have you stopped your therapy or are you planning to continue your therapy? My therapy was technically for journeys and i use the word journey when i'm talking about psychedelics or therapy versus yeah, it is because it is in a way a journey through well, your very mind often, yeah very often we hear people use the word trip when they're using psychedelics recreationally and i like to make the <sighs> distinction that for me this was a therapy so this was absolutely therapeutic yeah. journeys yeah i had four of them technically after the third one i no longer qualified uh, with a PTSD diagnosis, but I still had some, I still had some residual fear of my, my father I had to clear up. And so now, you know, I'm at a, I'm on a, um, I don't know how to describe it, a, an email basis when I need to reach out to my therapist for a session or two, because integration I feel like is, is pretty constant. Yeah, but yeah. I'm not regularly going to sessions. I would say once every two or three months, I kind of need a little therapeutic tune up and a chat with my therapist. But I don't necessarily see unless something happens in the future and you never know. Uh, I don't know if I'll need another psychedelic assisted psychotherapy session. Yeah, I mean, I had a couple of years ago. Um, I grew up in a cult. I grew up in a Jewish cult community in um, in New York. And for me... It was a real struggle, uh, you know, and by the time I was a teenager, I, I just wasn't feeling it anymore. So Mike knows this. I, uh, I found a, a friend of mine introduced me to this Facebook group of the Navajo Nation, and they did an ayahuasca ritual, one like Saturday, and I just, I signed up. <laughs> I drove to this random place in the middle of nowhere with a little wooden sign that's painted like tent <laughs> just pointing right <laughs> at the tent <laughs> and 
it was an eye-opener because, you know, I've discussed this on this podcast before of what I saw, and that person, that 17-year-old version of me, he died at 17. I was born in 2017, not 1999. He died. Wow. So, I, I know what you mean by residual because what happens is when I think on this is something I need to work on now is when I think back on the past it's like as if I have a dead person that's just tied around my foot I can't get it off <laughs> I can't get it off yeah you have more integration work to do yeah yeah that's yeah. incredible though what a way to put it he's <laughs> just dragging you down man you know so, Jill it, uh, so for the folks for the folks who are pre- listening to this saying what what the heck are they talking about Integration is the work after the actual psychedelic experience. Because it just gives you tools. It just gives you tools. And, you know, the fact that you are, you, you know, I think I'm speaking to the choir when I say you're halfway there, that you already know there's something you're working on integration. Yeah. And you may decide to have another psychedelic experience to help that integration along. I'm, but I'm, I'm working on that at the moment. You know, the way you <laughs> described it. Yeah. yeah. And don't you find that like, you'll know when you're ready. Like that's how my therapy went. I knew when I was ready, when I wasn't making progress. So you'll, you'll know. I always did it on a whim, you know, like I've done three different psychedelics. I've done peyote, ayahuasca, and I've mm-hmm. done LSD. Mm-hmm. And all of those were all on whims. You know, I, I did peyote. I was in Israel. I was in the Mesa Desert. There was a bunch of Israeli hippies. And they just pulled out a bag and pulled out guitars and made a bonfire. You know, I, for me, it's always been spontaneous. I don't know about you, Mike, but I don't know. Can it be where you know when you're ready? Um, I mean, um, you know, emotionally and psychologically, things can click for people. And I, and I imagine it's, it's going to be different. Of course, it's different. All the traumas are different. The individual experiences vary. Um, but the end goal is the same, ultimately. Yes. You're, you go through these journeys because you find um, that it could, um, it could potentially help you. And what's uh, amazing about what Jill said was that um, uh, after the second or third experience, um, you were no longer qualified in a sense or, or or considered to have PTSD so you don't you no longer need to take these sessions well I was reading up on this because I was covering a, a story on um, Elon Musk's recent tweet about Wellbutrin and um, and it's just interesting that somebody at that level uh, is even having conversations like this at dinner or wherever it may be you're talking um, about with a man, others who are like yeah you know you're talking about a man that wants to put not U.S. citizens on the moon. He wants to put people on the, on the moon and on Mars. His mission is not – it's not about the people. It's about the world. But, it I, but right. I, think, I think it's actually really important that we're having this kind of conversation and you're letting, you're letting the idea of the therapy to come through because when someone like Elon – stirs the pot around psychedelics 
and all the stereotypes that are out there that, frankly, I had most of my life. I was a child of the 80s. I remember the eggs in the frying pan. Right. Some of those comments, while I can't I can't begin to explain what what his purpose is, I wouldn't begin to guess that they can be incendiary. Like people can get all fired up issue and it's really important they did. to know that like there's a legitimate therapy that is now it's fda breakthrough designation like this is real it's the real deal yeah i mean that's a whole nother level and that's and that's why i brought it up there it coincides with the the data that i've been finding showing that yes like four percent of participants are making breakthroughs 64 percent of participants are no longer being considered to have PTSD after so many sessions. And so like you said that um, out of your own experience, and then sure enough, the data I've been um, drawing from is suggesting that too. And then of course we had that tweet going out a few days ago from Elon that pissed off a lot of people. Of course, uh, big pharma was, uh, was not happy to hear such a thing. This is one of the biggest problems. And I'm having this problem with my own family. We're depressant medication you know, a lot of my family members have PTSD. They don't want to admit it. They don't know it or they're, yeah. (laughs) I'm the only one in my family that admit it. And the thing is, I know what causes my PTSD. It's my father. He's not alive anymore. But I know what the cause is because I was given those tools. So the issue is, and this is how I have always seen it, it's big pharma doesn't like people to see what they're doing behind the curtain. They don't want to see the bald midget that can't clean his bottom sitting there and being a fucking disgusting prick. But they got to close the curtains. You can't see it. You can't shh. You can't see it. It's not there. It's, not there. it's just profiteering, you know. Yeah, sick, exactly. sick, sick people make money, you know, and uh, and healthy people won't necessarily. That's why there's just very little, uh, again, drawing from the same data points. There's very little efforts going into um, um, uh, mental health care in terms of antidepressants, or at least ones that can show better breakthroughs, uh, better consistency. Um, and this is the reason why. There's just they know there's no money in it. They rather work on diabetes, you know, applications because uh, they know that's a growing problem, and more and more people will have it. So they have repeat customers. Well, so I mean. I know big pharma is a little confused. Uh, if you do an internet search about psychedelic investing, yes, the sharks, the sharks are in the water. Yes. So um, as soon as the FDA makes a move, you are going to have a lot of companies coming up with, uh, I'm going to put solutions in quotation marks. Because yeah. I think as a consumer, we all have to be really careful to look at the particular research of a company offering a solution right? versus the two organizations right now that are actually running the clinical trials and following established protocols. See, this is a, a big right. problem. I mean, I mean yeah. there's going to there's gonna be more players for sure over time. I mean, you know, we have small companies like MindMed out of, I think, the East Coast and um, they're they're working on this, and they see a future. At some point, as soon as they start making breakthroughs, or as soon as you know let regulations allow um, more uh, more wiggle room, I mean, yeah, it's only a matter of time before uh, any other large uh, 
pharmaceutical, multinational. They just kind of come in and say, okay, you know, there might be some open source material too that they can draw from themselves that will uh, aid them and, and, and guide them in development. Uh, so I, I imagine everything that's conducted in terms of clinical research is shared. Not, that's not, um, it's not falling under any type of uh, laws that would be considered like, no, this is our corporation came up with it. And so we're going to keep the secrets and patent it. Yeah. Am I right? These are, these are like uh, fed- federal agencies or they're. Uh, well, the, the two companies right now, and I shouldn't say companies, MAPS, MAPS, a multidisciplinary association for psychedelics. They're a nonprofit. So I, I shouldn't have said companies and Johns Hopkins university is obviously university research. Okay. So, yeah. And those two, I'm going to use the word organizations. Those two organizations have uh, are partnering with the FDA in that the FDA has des- designated their research as breakthrough therapy. The other companies, when you do some internet sleuthing, you'll see that there are other companies that are raising money and they're on like phase two clinical trials, whereas MAPS is uh, phase three. And so there is a bit of a race and I can't, I'm not an expert in this. I cannot speak to it. There, there is a bit of a race to carve out the psychedelic space that, and I'm just making this up, Jill gets psilocybin A and, you know, Sadie gets psilocybin B and they have just those patents that there is a little bit of a drive to try to do that kind of well, stuff. Look what, look, what ha- look what happened with cannabis. Okay. I mean, I mean, I'm happy that it's legal. It should have never been illegal to begin with, but the way that the the government is, is on, I, I'm like, you tax these poor, innocent people more than any, any other farmers that are botanists that are working with plants. And then on top of all that shit, you have a lot of them, will, they can't even get loans. So they got to pay for everything out of pocket, you know? Or, or even be able to deposit money into a bank because exactly. the Congress is still delaying on the, on the Reform Act. And, exactly. you know, there's, there's a lot of issues. But, you know, when we're talking about patents specifically, like they tried and there's a reason why it's very difficult to um, take what occurs in nature and duplicate it. Marinol, for the most part, I guess it worked, but it was also, also mostly a, a market failure. It just wasn't something that uh, was all that widely used. Um, but that is supposed to be the legal medical, uh, uh, medically prescribed uh, THC product um, that you can only get as a prescription, let's say if you're uh, going through chemo or whatever. But in this instance, let's say these uh, companies chasing after patents and trying to beat, uh, like beat everyone else to the race, um, they might, you know, they might encounter something similar, like take a blend of maybe some psilocybin or MDMA or something. And with whatever components you may add to it and say it's yours. Um, But at the end of the day, I mean, just the basics of these chemicals work on their own. It, sure, you can make blends to make it your own. So you can charge what you want. Uh, it, it doesn't necessarily mean um, it's going to be that much better than traditional psilocybin from the mushroom or whatever. So that's kind of a, a difficult um, uh, a difficult situation. I don't know there. But and I, I, think, I, I think your point is well 
I think you make a really strong point for the need for continual research. I mean, really, if some compound can have a tremendous result, you know, wouldn't that be wonderful for the mental health of our country, of our society, of the world? Yeah, for everybody, of course. And and it's it's always I feel like it's always best for these types of things to look at it from the light of open source because um, mental health, uh, just like any type of medical health, it it shouldn't be um, it shouldn't be so difficult to afford. Um, when there is a crisis uh, and people are, it's going to affect the very fabric of everyday life. Um, it, we should we should take it a little more seriously and not hide behind patents, but try to help people recover faster so that we can actually get uh, productivity levels up much higher. I mean, this is what everyone's looking at, right? I mean, um, what is, well, what is the, the economy metrics? It should, just like Yang said in 2016, whether you were form or not, um, uh, GDP should, should be measured in some way by happiness too, or it should, at least it should be considered. Um, I agree. At least should be considered. It's um, it's kind of important that people are happy because when they are, um, you get such a resilience in economic activity because everyone's people, doing well. People want to people want to achieve. Sure. You know, kind of the the again, it was propaganda, but you saw that in the '60s and the '70s was the world was really bad, but so many Americans were like. They're like, it's going to be better. And they were just happy to believe that we just, we got to just keep on working a little harder. We're going to make it better. And then, well, Reagan came along and everybody's like, oh, yay, Reagan. <laughs> and then he fucking killed all the gays. That's a story for another time. You know, and, but it's just highs. It doesn't last. You know, it, it's, Mike makes a great point. I mean, if you have where it's measured by happiness, where you have people that are genuinely happy. They're content with their job. They're happy with their families. They don't have all the depression, financial struggles, medical struggles, mortgage struggles. This is all shit we don't need. It kind of comes full circle, though. It's like helping them mentally. Um, just like what we've discussed over the last uh, several minutes is that it gives tools we hope that as you go through the journey that you recognize what these tools and that you reflect on them to realize how you should be applying them in your life uh whether it's or whatever it may be uh, um that is the hope through these sessions right some takes multiple sessions but um ultimately the 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 mental well-being of all people should be considered a, a very high priority uh because at the end of the day, most people's problems won't disappear, but they will uh, feel like they have a handle on their lives. It's exactly what I've noticed. I mean, I've been doing it a long time, but in the beginning, it was, uh, it was blowing open doors that uh, needed to be uh, viewed, that needed lots of reflection and time. So I think um, that's an important factor for listeners to understand that you can go through these treatments and it can help you recognize your issues. Your problems will not disappear, but you will handle them better. And it makes you a better and stronger person day to day. Well, one of 
one of the things that I think was most surprising to me was the secret behind therapy. <laughs> and I say it like that on purpose. I did not realize that the real magic of therapy in general is being able to take a different perspective into your life, your beliefs, your thought patterns. And trauma cements so many of those thought patterns when we were younger and we take blame and we feel shame and and we have a whole bunch of fear or, you know, whatever your wherever your trauma stems from. And this therapy for me allowed me to shift my perspective. I was seeing my life through five-year-old, 16-year-old, 19-year-old eyes. And I'll admit I'm not quite that young anymore. And I was still seeing the world through those perspectives. And this therapy allowed me to change my perspectives. And you're right. It's not like my quote unquote problems have gone away, but because of the shift in perspective, the problems are either easier to resolve, decisions are easier to make, a sense of well-being is, is possible, whereas a lot of PTSD sufferers like me, like you just didn't feel that there was a future. You didn't you just kind of like we're going through the motions. And I think that's one of the differences. Um, I shouldn't say one of the differences. I think that was one of my aha moments with therapy that, oh my gosh, I really can shift perspective and change the way I think about my yeah. life. You that's really important. You sometimes just have to take, you have to take a different approach. I mean, I've personally seen this so many times where we're all, you know we're we're creatures of the mind and our mind is a very powerful and it's a very beautiful tool but the one thing you never want is don't let anybody control your mind and I grew up being controlled by my mind all the time so by the people you love right or by the people I love yeah. And it's a horrible feeling and then when you you disconnect from it it's still horrible but you know what you say I'm not in it anymore. Mm -hmm. Okay. It is horrible but it it also you know you recognize that human behaviors are complex whether you know of all of all relationship types and just yeah. um it helps you recognize that um people are being people. Yes, you don't want to be controlled. You should think for yourself. And that is a, a really good, um, positive thing or message to be sharing that you did. But um, I feel that while achieving that, also understanding that there's there's always someone fighting for your attention to control you. That's, if it's not the people around you, it's um, it's virtually all the other... Uh, electronics and entertainment and distractions in life too. Uh, just under, yeah, yeah. I mean, but just understanding it. Like I, I feel, um, I feel like that has been the most uh, eye-opening thing. Is like look at human behavior. This is so typical. Uh, uh, you know, selfish desires. Um, just this, they're all uh, part of being human. They're all human characteristics, and you ex experience it with all kinds of people. You you know, you deal with. And though that can be viewed negatively, but I feel like it could also be viewed positively too. understanding, like, these are all natural things. And you, you begin to 
system and you don't get mad about it. You just accept that this is how everybody behaves. You don't have to behave that way yourself. Um, something both of you said that really kind of uh, rang something earlier about uh, um, uh, the external reactions, just the, the triggers, for lack of a better term, the triggers that manifest behaviors um, or, 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 or the PTSD or the traumas that uh, are in your lives. Like for you, Dave, you said it was your dad and it could be something, um, it could be Chill. very specific things. Didn't you say it was also your dad for the PTS? Oh, that's, oh, that's wild. Yeah. My father was a domestic abuser. My mother was clinically depressed, uh, lots of suicides. It wasn't a great background, but you know what, Mike, I wanted to, I wanted to circle back to what you were getting at with triggers and people being people. At one point in my therapy, I was, I was complaining about someone. I don't know who I was complaining. About. <laughs> I don't know what I was complaining about. And my therapist kind of looked at me and, and said, you know, when you look at people as children with adult layers on top and you start to see them as folks who are working through their own stuff, you suddenly, I suddenly started to have a lot more empathy. And after going through this therapy, looking at some of that behavior that in the past would have triggered me to like a 10 that now triggers me at a two. I just look and say, Oh, you're working through some stuff. <laughs> oh God. You know, yeah. I, I had once uh, a while ago I had, I was, uh, you know, I sometimes like walk around in heels, you know, I'm kind of a little bit flashy and I had this guy, I was like walking by and he just like screamed. He's like, faggot. And I just like I just started giggling. I'm like, bundle of twigs, you know, because in <laughs> English that's what it means. <laughs> you know, it's true. You do get to that point of like, he's just a child in adult diaper, and he needs to yeah. screen a bundle of twigs into the street. You know what? Yeah, he's yeah. their own man. That's a good way of putting it, though. Is um, uh, an adult with uh, or a child with adult layers? It's it's it it. It definitely it resonates. It make it makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, because you know that th that was like one of the things that kind of um, that also was like, wow, aha, the world is run by all these you know people, and all of these people you know are not perfect. They got all of these problems too, uh, beyond what we can imagine. They're wearing um, and yeah, sure. <laughs> But th th that was another thing for me is just thinking like, who makes these rules? What are these rules? You know, I mean, by my own rules, I have my own morality and I understand uh, the limits of them um, and where I can draw, draw the line in the sand. So uh, I'm not going to accept other people's rules. These are all just constructs constructed by somebody. You know, of course, we have laws that can put you in jail. We want to avoid those. Is everything else like walking in heels? There are no, no, you know, who says that's wrong? That's you. That's, that's whatever me. you want to. Do. I will. I will yeah. wear heels as much as I like in the street. Everybody <laughs> can look, and I There's, don't care. They're hey, gonna look. You walk in them. More power to you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so, truth be, yeah. No. Truth, truth be told, you mentioned earlier, like with the rules. Okay. Realistically, who made the rules? Old people. rich. Old rich politicians. 
old rich politicians and old rich monopolists and entrepreneurs, they make the rules. They make rules and they do shape society. I mean, we've got people like the Koch brothers that like to um, run the publications of, uh, I want to say, the the schools across the nation, all those textbooks. I mean, you can shape at least society in some way. The rules, I mean, societal rules, I think those are constructed by people and and just society overall. Are you talking about laws or rules? rules because what happens is people then believe right you know it's kind of it's kind of it's so okay it's kind of the same thing like with you know with weed and like how now you know it's like legal and whatever <laughs> you know how many times i've gone through the tsa okay with my weed pen in my bag okay they bomb check me because they must think like my name is ahmad men i don't know something and i'm moroccan okay i'm just moroccan <laughs> going to LA to see some friends, but no, 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 no. There's something in my bag. You know, they just, it's just these made up rules with extra bullshit on top of it that you're like supposed to follow. And I'm like, uh, yeah, no, yeah, no, this doesn't work for me. Sorry. Yeah. I mean that, you know, that I can say, um, almost with certainty, that's mostly, uh, uh, I feel like some of human behavior, the heightened risks, the heightened fear, check everybody, right? The same goes for like, let's say law enforcement, where we have a lot of uh, people feeling like they're targeted based on their head being shaved or what they're wearing, what they're driving, what music they're listening to, all this profiling um, that's also kind of attributed to that same belief is that through all the societal norms that like... You know, they, uh, in a sense, just have that heightened fear almost all the time that like, okay, this fits the profile. I expect this individual to cause problems. Same thing for TSA. These rules are, again, just by people. Going back to psychedelics, it's the same thing. It's why was psychedelics banned? And you know, it's going to make a lot of people laugh because the American government wanted to destroy the Native American tribes. Because Navajo, Navajo are a huge user of ayahuasca. They use it a lot of their rituals. So they made all of this stuff illegal so that they can control the Native Americans. And uh, now we're f- well, I think there's also additional, I think there's additional story too. But, but that, but we're going back all the way, because America's only been around for like, what, 275 years? We're talking about like where it all started and where it all started. It's just, it's stupid. It's stupid. Michael Pollan's book, uh, how to change your mind. He does a nice history lesson into the 1960s and 1970s as to why many of these compounds were classified. And And it was definitely not for, um, public safety is the way I'll describe it, but I'm not a historian. So, um, well, I mean, you, you can spoiler alert it. It's okay. Like, um, any, any specifics you can say out of the book that, um, that comes to mind, uh, Richard Nixon. Well, you had a couple of colorful characters in the psychedelic front that were maybe a little bit too excited about it. And, uh, then you had Richard Nixon who wanted to have a, <laughs> now I understand what's happening. <laughs> There's a rule on this podcast. Whenever you say his name, you must spit. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> I, I don't want to cause a mess then. I, I won't say that name again. Um, <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not a history major. I really just have my information from that particular book. So I'm sure there's, there's more. He was, uh, he, it's true though. He was, he was a very, he was a scared little man. And he went after like celebrity. He was a nutcracker. He went after celebrities. And I remember, I don't know too much about this either. I know that one of the big things was he wanted to control the Yippies, which was a youth foundation, and also control the um, Liberal Party. He wanted them to be under arrest because at the time, one of the candidates, oh God, what was his name, uh, when uh, Nixon was reelected, his followers were in support of not making, making these drugs to be legal. And he wanted to make sure that none of that happened. And then once he won, it was reversed, all of it. And in 1974, by the time he was out of office, it was federally stamped. Yeah. Substance. Right. It was solidified. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of research stopped. It's unfortunate. I I learned a lot from the pollen book about how much research was actually going on. And uh, we lost decades of research is really what happened. And it's, it's just... I look back and I think if we had, if, if those, if those laws or, you know, if that hadn't happened, how many people 20 years ago could have had this therapy and, and really created a different direction for parts of our society. I think it's a real disservice that it happened and it's super important moving forward that we support the research and we support understanding exactly what these compounds are versus sensationalizing them or demonizing them that understanding that they are a practical way to help people with mental health issues is really important and i I thank you i really appreciate that you actually just let me say that line thank you very much (laughs) and one thing i will say also especially i could see this now in the media this drive now where there's so much psychedelic stuff going on. Like, I just watched Doctor Strange, okay? They must have had somebody that did psychedelics that helped write the story. <laughs> just, okay. And I love that. I love that because they're bringing in real-life experiences, bringing on something that's meaningful to our society that can help our society. Get out of the fucking bubble. It's okay if things are not straight lines. Nothing needs to be a straight square. Who gives two shits? I think people are realizing that, you know? I think it's gotten to the point where desperation is quite high. I mean, I had a comment on one of my videos uh, several months ago of a man um, who had watched my videos. He's like, you know, I'm really eager to do this. I'm, I'm happy that you have gotten what you've gotten out of it. And thank you for sharing. And he, you know, he had tried buying some, he got scammed, he left another comment. And, um, and it, it's really rough, like the desperation for some people who are in rural areas or have tried virtually everything. So I think it's exactly where you're describing that moment in time where people are like, okay, I don't care if this doesn't fit the mold. There's now millions of people talking about it. There's probably something here and I'd rather roll the dice. And even better, if you're living in a state that's sponsoring some type of clinical trials on people, mm-hmm. I guess mm-hmm. the worst part is having to wait. If you get on that list, you have to wait. That You know what? That is the worst part. I'm, I'm very happy that I can start to tell the story now before too many media clickbait stories go the opposite direction because we all know how, how that can go. 
the other side of it is that there are some people who have told me some horrible, horrible stories about their, their childhood and their lives. And that's the only thing I can say is, yes, there are clinical trials. Here's the website. Go take a look. Um, because, yeah, right right now there is a bit of a wait until FDA approval. Yeah. Right. And some, yeah, and some people don't want to wait. They're like, I'll grow my own mushrooms or um, they'll unfortunately look towards um, other you know, avenues that may not be great, that may not be safe. And with the fentanyl problem, it makes it worse because it's ending up in everything, including cannabis now, right out of Connecticut and I believe Texas. So it's uh, that's a very scary thing to see. Well, well I so, mean, I mean uh, on top of the desperation. I mean, Big Pharma said, look, you know, the poorness and cancer patients that we've been fucking them over for years when we have a cure already. And they they say, here, here's fentanyl to help with the chemo here. Take some some uh, five times worse than heroin. Inject it, please. We want you to put all that shit through your body so we can make more money <laughs> off of you. Yeah, I mean, this I is our th- th- this this is where we are right now. OK. We're causing cancer, fucking cancer patients addicted to shit that's worse than fucking heroin. Fivefold. Fivefold. And that's and that's probably deadlier too by some some factor. One thousand percent. Yeah, I would I would caution folks, I mean, especially since you know, the topic of today's conversation, to really not be in such a rush that you you really don't vet who you're working with or what you're working with. Um, There is a lot of information on the MAPS, uh, maps.org website about- We'll we'll add add it in the description. We'll add it in the description below. Okay. I mean, if if you don't have someone who is willing to work the protocol with you, talk therapy, uh, what an integration is, if if you don't have somebody who is willing to kind of have the entire package of the therapy, I would caution people to really uh, have their own safety in their head at first. Does, does that make sense? Am I saying that well? Yeah. Yeah. Don't be in a rush. I mean, you know, you're, you want to get better, but you don't want to uh, necessarily um, take a risk of doing something, acquiring something that will make it worse. Right. It's yes. uh, what's, yes. uh, what's amazing about the, uh, the connection with um, with all things that are alive. I mean, even through these experiences of psilocybin, just the the beautiful connections it makes it. Uh, in, in not so many words, it uh, it opens up doors, especially when you're receptive to it. So, like, if you can allow it to come, it generally will find its way to you. Um, it has. That's how it's always been for me, and that's kind of how. It all kind of began again, um, and I feel like it's an it's an amazing topic that uh, is so worth the hour plus sometimes to have discussions with people and share the experiences of um, the same epiphanies that are happening again and again. Yes, different circumstances, different traumas, different people, but uh, the the same light bulb that turns on for for everybody. Uh, to cross over for the first time and being able to see like, this does work. This is making a positive change. There's something different. Um, so it's a, it's a good start for society and more people will eventually get their hands on it that need it. It might get easier. There might be something patented. Um, I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember, I forgot to write it down, but there was some, 
thing that you had said and I want to get back to it, but um, uh, yeah, I'm sure it'll well, come. We should be looking at MDMA going to the FDA for approval next year. And so, and I don't know how long that process takes. Once well, we it's can see, we, so we that's can well, we can see with ketamine, right? Uh, ketamine, you know, we thought it would take years. It only took about six years, which yeah. went, went pretty quickly. Um, I mean, especially like states like this one. Yeah, states I mean, like this one are very receptive to it. Psilocybin, also, I mean, same thing. You know, we no one ever think it would became legalized, and now it's legal in Colorado, ready for four years. So. Things are kind of picking They're up moving. a little bit. Yeah, just a little bit. They're getting a little quicker. Yeah. So, and this is where hopes. this is where we need to be careful that there is not suddenly a backlash. That I think it's super important that folks are responsible. Patients, or if you're looking for help, you vet who you're working with. Uh, now yeah, is yeah. A, a tenuous time that you know we just need to be careful that we're really but, working towards our best goal. Like what backlash, media backlash or legislative backlash or, um, yeah. you know, yeah. DEA getting involved. I mean, Fuckers. those are all possibilities, right? But, yeah. uh, uh, you know, it's kind of funny. Uh, mushrooms are everywhere now. Um, it's surprising how many people are involved in mushrooms, but uh, uh, it's being sold underground virtually uh every major city you can imagine i'm in one of um, i'm in one of the hot spots are <laughs> I'm, in, you? I'm in near fort lauderdale yeah. <laughs> send me some uh you know i i i will say this and it, it's a really good point because when you're dealing with the backlash perfect example like with cannabis i've been smoking cannabis for about four years and i mainly do indica sometimes i'll do hybrids but primarily it's been a learning process for me you know, people are like, ugh, I'm so lazy. I don't want to do anything. You know, I've sometimes where I've finished about a gram of weed. I'm vacuuming, mopping up the floors, putting on records, making dinner. It's Again, that's, it's that's tu it's tools, right? It gives you the tools, and you choose what you want to do with them. Yeah, I mean, it can make you lazy, sure. It's also your mindset. I mean, exactly. if you you can be lazy without weed, too, you know. Yeah, <laughs> you don't need weed to be lazy. Yeah, yeah, it's that's just an added excuse. I feel like that is a big thing that, that uh, people would be surprised at uh, learning about themselves through psilocybin treatment or any other psychedelic. Is you you know we are full of excuses. If you want to improve in your life, stop making them and self accountable to every decision um, and indecision. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think. I think one of the one of the differences between taking a compound recreationally versus taking a compound therapeutically is the reason for taking it. My dog is coming in here, so mm. here we go. Um, that every single one of my therapeutic journeys, I had very specific healing intentions, which I think is a little bit different than when you're taking a drug recreationally. Sure. The healing intentions helped to direct the session, which then directly impacted the kind of integration that I had afterward. Um, so I like I like what you said in terms of, you know, what are the goals? Sometimes you want to relax and have 
and have a different kind of experience. And sometimes you want a therapeutic experience and to kind of expand your mind and figure some stuff out. So yeah, uh, there's, there's different layers as to why folks do certain things. I mean, I, I as a kid, I took mushrooms to have fun as an, I remembered mushrooms and realized there's something more here. So um, when I started, was the, there was the intention and then it, there was the ability to narrow it down to be like okay let's focus this we are yeah. we are seeing that we are seeing that it works let's hone in on the areas and discover all the baggage that has been unaddressed for so long yeah. um and and it, and it uh, kind of again it comes back to triggers and realizing certain behaviors manifest when there's uh, happen and you they're so subconscious sometimes you don't realize and um, and then they keep happening it's it's truly re- rewiring but I think that's also what the science is showing like how it um, opens up these pathways and provides the ability for new perspective or new thinking um, it, you know the way I've, I've described my my personal um, sessions would be is uh, just the way I would describe it is that uh, when I go into them, it's it's knowing like what you already want to think about that day. That's the, the amazing thing too. Just reflecting as a as a teenager, using them for fun, realizing today that yes, they could be fun, but my goodness, these things work awfully well for self reflection. Yes. So yeah. so does marijuana. Soda, the soda is probably a lot of other uh, chemicals that we've discussed. Um, they might be fun for recreational use, yeah. but look at, look at how much more powerful they are when, uh, when actually used in a targeted fashion with yeah. a purpose. You mentioned also like with cannabis, you know, I mean, you with psilocybin, me with cannabis. I mean, I pretty much smoke cannabis every single night. And the reason why I do this is, I have a very stressful life. I, you know, I have to sit in traffic every single morning and then come home. <laughs> I have a hard job. I've got a lot of things to worry about. I just want to come home and just focus on my home, just taking care of myself, my cat. I don't want to deal with any of that. I don't. I'll deal with it when I need to. Absolutely. That's what, you know, that's why weed's so great. You hone in and you focus on, on what you want to do with this session, with this therapy. You know, mm-hmm. definitely. It's all about the skill and focus. Well, and I'm I'm glad you're I'm glad we're 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 having this kind of conversation about it because I do think that sometimes in the media, psychedelic assisted psychotherapy can sound like oh, it's just taking the compound and within you know five hours you're you're just good as new or, or all your issues. <laughs> sure. And- like suboxone treatment for, yeah. for opioid use <laughs> or abuse. Yeah. Here's some suboxone. Yeah. Like, like you'll be okay. You, yeah, you no, kind of no. have to go in with some intentionality and you have to be willing to think about it afterward for it, for, to, to for really read the sink, it, sink in. Yeah. Yes. For yeah. a long time. I mean, um, it could be days, it could be weeks and months. I months. mean, it's good. You know, you should want to think about if, if these are things holding you back in your life in some way, you should want to spend time with them and analyze them and um, and do an emotional and psychological audit in a sense 
uh, long term. I mean, I like that. Yeah. When I think about long term, somebody uh, as they're getting older into their later years, you know, these are you want to deal with when you're 60. You know, it's it's very it's very painful stuff. Oftentimes, that is not the time to deal with it. It should be done uh, as soon as possible, um, if at all, if at all possible. So I, I can uh, I see it within my own family too. I, I recognize it, and it and it hurts. I wish I can help, but um, it's not a it's not an easy thing to uh, uh, to bring up or to uh, and people need have to want right and that's a big yeah. part like if you don't want to heal there's not much that any drug can do for you whether prescribed or or otherwise like what we're discussing so i mean it's uh, it's really difficult but i very important it, point right there yes put an exclamation point yeah. on that sentence yeah but, but i but i do sense i do sense i feel it i see it it's very painful if you're you know um, over a, a very specific age and you have not really addressed it, like, as I said, somebody in my own family. And it's painful to see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and it's also when you realize, too, that, that generational, dra- uh, generational trauma, you know, I see definitely my grandparents, my parents. I've seen, I can now see these patterns that I didn't see before, which really right. does, it really does make one sad once once you start to in my experience so far is that when i've talked to people who have healed and they can see the patterns from generations ago there's a bit of a sadness there that those folks before them couldn't find healing and uh, maybe we're finally at a turning point with future generations that we can kind of heal some of that trauma so it doesn't keep going on i mean right. i met- I met somebody uh, in Israel. He grew up in upstate New York, and both of his parents were hippies. <laughs> they were, uh, you know, they did psychedelics, all this stuff when he was growing up as a kid, like the whole community he grew up in. So he has a very different way of looking at the world. And sure. I only knew him for a very short period of time. It always fascinated me. It's like, can you imagine being in his world? He never saw any of the trauma. I mean, he grew up on the farms with his family. They're all smoking pot. They're all, la- you know, it's a world that we, you know, you're mentioning with the future generations. Mm. They might be in a world that we might not be able to relate with at all because we never had that. That's very yeah. true. I mean, if yeah. healing modalities are around for future generations that we never, that we didn't have the opportunity uh, to even research or, or look at, that would be very special. That if there were if there were more options for people moving forward. Yeah, I mean that's hopefully that's the the purpose of a lot of what's going on is that yeah. um, we can we can raise our kids better, right? They and that they won't have to repeat some of the generational um, um, sub, subconscious behaviors uh, yeah. that are passed on. That um, we can raise them better with the tools that we have gained from these sessions, so that they can grow up uh, utilizing them, understanding them. You know, the power of self-reflection. You know, 
uh, strong moral values, um, you know, uh, you know, living with strength and not fear, not, 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 not dictated by fear to, to go about your life and do great things and no, no fear of anything. Because again, they're all rules made by man. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's that, that kind of feeling and thought can be so empowering for later generations that, uh, they can go about, um, making great changes for the future. Think about like even, I mean, not even our podcast, but so many others, you know, we may not realize this, but people will like, you know, we don't know what kind of people are listening. There all might over be, the world. All over the world. There might be college yeah. students going to college and they want to be a part of something and they listen to us or somebody else that's talking about it. They get inspired mm -hmm. and they tell other kids in their, you know, in their college class and it it starts to grow that that's how it starts it's just having an open conversation letting people I think, speak i think freely. this generation for sure yeah i think this generation for sure that's growing up like they'll be more open to psychedelics they already are you know um drugs aren't bad it's just what you do with them and some of them can be quite destructive if uh if abused and it just and addiction is a is something that i've covered i've studied a long time and um those specific behaviors, though a lot of times it's um, stigmatized, I think um, I think that's an incorrect approach for for that behavior. Uh, addiction is very much part of our biology because we're chemically driven through and through. So it's um, it becomes tricky how you would want to let's say decriminalize everything, knowing how we are as a species. Um, you know, I want to tell a quick story and make a, a really strong point that if people can go through these experiences and journeys that you should document them somehow document them, all your lessons, what you reflected on for the day, if you can keep a journal, because as I go through it, it's been four years plus for me now, I can, I definitely see behaviors re-manifesting and I catch them. Why are they re-manifesting? It's um, I think this is just, how the brain works it's complicated it's a uh, nothing is easy and life is hard for virtually everybody but um if you document you can go back and you, you can read them as your diary and just uh things that can help you remember about certain feelings so really good example here is where fear once again took over the decision making for me someone from uh, a university that wanted to use my videos for their paper uh, out of um, out of Europe, and we went back and forth in discussions. But I decided against giving him the rights to use my videos. Why? It was because of fear, and it was an irrational fear. So I had to go back and think about it later on. But um, witnessing these things and realizing, like it may never be perfect, and they can reoccur. But the main traumas are the first thing, and then everything else. Um, is something that we'll probably continuously work on for the rest of our lives. Well, you know, uh, so way back, way back in, in almost like another lifetime ago because of my age, I was uh, an English major. And one of the ways I communicate is through writing and speaking. And um, my therapist said to me, look, I really, really encourage you through this process to be journaling because 
you're going to have these perspective shifts and you're going to wind up almost forgetting you're going to wind up having these perspective shifts and you're always you're you're almost going to get to the point of wait a minute i really did think this way before and so whatever modality folks have to record their experiences you know talking into their phone typing keeping some sort of record of it and then going back and looking at the growth because it it'll happen in my case, let me be very clear. In my case, it happened so incre- incrementally most of the time. A couple of times I had some explosive healing, but most of the time it was incremental. And if I hadn't kept my journals, I almost wouldn't have been able to recognize how I used to think before this therapy. So I'm really, I'm really excited you just mentioned that um, it can be incredibly healing. And even just today, I wound up looking at a journal post from like nine months ago and I had another realization. So it can be a really powerful way to help healing. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, you know, when we're going to leave off on this, it's interesting because, you know, journaling can kind of be whatever you want it to be. Yes. You know, um, I, it's funny for me, journaling is actually music. So sometimes I'll just sit there therapeutic, like I'm working on a two songs at the moment, and mm-hmm. just depending on my mood and depending on where I am, you know, I create this song. And I had it's crazy. I had this happen um, on Thursday. I was sitting there and I was coming up with the song, and I was like, "Wait, wait, 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 wait. Why, why, why would I want to add this? You know?" And I was like, "I see." So I used to have, you know, I used to think of when I played it, I couldn't handle it. I'm like, you know what? No, 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 no. I'm going to change this. And I did. Uh-huh. I redid the whole thing. I added two more chords and it just sounded a lot better. So just Good. realizing what you did wrong before and then fixing it the next time. Like, no, no, it just, no. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. It's a work in progress. Yes. Yeah. It's a, it's a great perspective to have in music though, Dave, is that like, you, you should keep it open to reapproach it. I mean, everything in your life could be viewed in the same way. Music is ample that um, it doesn't, you know, if it doesn't fit, you know, it's okay. You can come back with something else. And, yeah. and you did that really well, man. Hope you can show me those songs very soon. Well, I mean, I have, I literally have my guitar <laughs> right behind me. Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Gentlemen, yeah. this has been this has been wonderful. Thank you very much. I really appreciate the opportunity to just kind of share my story. We appreciate it too. Uh, did you like have? I mean, we're gonna add all this stuff in the description. But is there anything you wanted to leave off? Like, for example, how people can find you. You know, figure out like where where did this girl find this therapy? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I do have a website, uh, jillsitnick.com. There's not a whole lot there. I'm kind of I'm beginning to build resources for folks. Uh, on TikTok, I'm uh, rescuing Jill. I did just write the book to kind of deep dive and talk about my experience with the therapy. And uh, I think that's important under, that people have the opportunity to see what the therapy is before they dive into it. Again, that's that safety element and and understanding what you're getting into. Um, So yeah, folks are free to reach out, but I do always tell people, please check out the MAPS website for the MDMA PTSD work. Uh, 
and check out the Johns Hopkins website for the psilocybin depression work, uh, because those sites have way more information than I, I have. I, I'm just someone who was able to go through this therapy and heal, whereas those sites have all the research and the clinical trials and all that kind of stuff. Amazing. Well, that's the pill, everybody. <laughs> and uh, hope it went down well. We'll see you uh, sometime, eventually. All right, guys, we have reached that time in our podcast. This has been great. It has been fun, and we got lost in the groove. So stay tuned. Every Tuesday, be sure to check out a new episode of Lost in the Groove. It premieres about 2 a.m. in the morning, and our other channels, Sham Bam with Mike and Dave, which is our Patreon podcast, and our extra special, The Shindig Variety Show, our YouTube podcast. Links will be down in the description box, so you can... Vote for what topic we cover next season. And what other kind of content or new ideas and stuff we have to offer. Thank you guys so much for watching. Catch you guys in the next one.